Well, friends, welcome to the Backhanders. We're back with our pre-Wimbledon episode, and we're here bringing you all the ins and outs of this great game, the great game of tennis. We're covering each tennis slam and unafraid to slam tennis. Oh, we're back on the grass. It is great to be here. My name is Lightning, and with me, a man who always sounds a lot more informed when on grass, Catters, Catters, what's up? Lightning, so good to be with you. I'm as excited as you are to leave the treachery of France behind us and to set our sights to the greener pastures. Obviously, I'm speaking to you from Copenhagen in Northern Europe where it is freaking hot and looking at the French forecast, it looks like Paris is going to have 40 degrees the next three to four days. Wow. So it's good to know that God has continued his utter obliteration of Roland Garros. Actually, he's going to bake the clay into a hard court. He's stepping in. He's had enough. So three of the slams next year will be on hard court. I'm happy to report. And I might actually want to leave the house in the month of May next year. <laughs> Oh, well, as you said, Catters, it is wonderful to leave the clay behind. Isn't it lovely to have the mowers out, the eight mil grass cut, the white clothes, the royal box? We're here amongst the pomp and ceremony that is uh, Wimbledon. No doubt Meghan Markle will be there with her red-headed handbag. But this is the, these are the events that we hang for. Wimbledon, the pinnacle of, this, of the tennis career, the people's tournament to celebrate. I'm, I'm in my suit. You're in your suit, albeit my birthday suit. But here we are, dressed up, <laughs> ready for Wimbledon. Kat, is, what is Wimbledon to you? I must admit, it, you know, it is 1am here and it's not very often that I use the bike lane on my white stallion as I approach the recording studio, but I felt it befitting because it truly is an upper class tournament. I'm divided, Lightning, to be honest. I love the fact that the players get up for this tournament. They know that it matters the most. They're keen to rebound from clay. They're keen to stake their claim for the world's most prestigious tournament. But on the other hand, I dislike the fact that it's so stuffy and it's difficult to get a ticket. Yeah. And the best analogy would be back at school when, you know, you saw that pretty girl who was standing in the corner of the room and you just couldn't get anywhere near her. Uh, in my case, not within 50 metres, but uh, we'll st- that's still for the courts to decide ongoing litigation. Um, but just, you know, she's fantastic. She's beautiful. She's charming. She's everything you'd ever want, but you realise that you're just simply not from the right socioeconomic background. That's a very specific analogy, I know, but it's just the way that I feel. Uh, and she said my education wasn't done good enough, so I'm just... <laughs> reeling from that revelation so there's look to be honest it strikes a nerve every time Wimbledon comes around but then I see the players roll out in their white clothing and in the case of Roger Federer his white um you know what is that what is that he's wearing some sort of reefer jacket exactly I describe it as his uh as his white glee club blazer I I love it it is unbelievable it's the two-fingered salute Either he's been teleported from a Miami gangster film in the 80s or he's lost his way to a barbershop quartet performance. (laughs) Ace you, ace you, ace you. (laughs) 
But for me, I'm a bit the same, Kat, as I, I once tried to get into Wimbledon and was told that my, my upper lip wasn't stiff enough at the door. So <laughs> it is. It's funny because English people don't show emotion. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Although they do, upon entry, I think they give you a fine china tea set so you can sip tea. Monocles, I think, are compulsory, I believe, at Wimbledon, you know, so you can be the Monopoly man. <laughs> There's no sponsors allowed, no advertising material. So other opens, we're used to all this colour in the background and promotion and advertising. That's that's not allowed at Wimbledon. But how will we know that betting on sport is cool? <laughs> we're going to have to work it out for ourselves. Cadiz. Okay, okay. This is the extent of, of some of the rules and how fastidious Wimbledon is. They're very strict on clothing. So we've heard of people like Agassi that were told to change their clothing in the past. But even as recently as 2013, Roger Federer was told to switch his shoes in the next match because his soles, the soles of the shoes, were orange. Possibly oh, just some you know remnants of the clay that he'd kind of left behind. But literally was told to, to change footwear. So that this is the, this is the tournament we're talking about. What, what sort of statement can Serena possibly make? I mean, exactly. wedding gown, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty unfortunate because all the superlatives she's written about herself on her clothes are illegible. You can't read them because they're all in white. So that's a, that's a shame. That oh, no, that's not true. They've, they've, that's, they've been written in one of those um, UV uh, texters on, on all over her. So she's she's in all white and it's invisible, but she's actually lobbied to put in a safe injecting light in the the archway as she walks out so her opponent can see the giant middle finger she has on her back. I've got nothing in my head. I'm just really excited and I want to hug the whole stadium. So, Catters, tell me, what are you excited about? Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that as Australians, we have something well and truly to be excited about, Lightning. We have none other than a world number one, Ash Barty. She took out Birmingham and she is holding the world's number one ranking as we speak, which is something truly to be excited about. Amazing. A lot of the listeners won't know the drama that we've been through over the years. We grew up... In a period through the 80s and 90s where I'm happy to say women's rights were expanded remarkably across different career paths. Women were given the right to vote, I believe, in 1995 in Australia. (laughs) Uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, they were also given the right to bear arms in the late 90s and many other advancements for the cause of women. But It's bittersweet when I reflect upon it because if you were to draw some sort of diagram whereby the advancement of women from a career standpoint is exponential, then you would have to have the opposite for that of women swinging a tennis racket (laughs) because Australian women were utterly rubbish. It was two decades that I would say probably weren't even recorded in Australian sporting mythology because they were so disappointing. The (laughs) likes of Nicole Pratt, Nicole Bradkey, formerly Nicole Provis. I just want to make sure that you know exactly who we're talking about here. They all disappointed us. Liz Smiley, she does a fairly good chewing gum commercial post-retirement, but just not great tennis players. Alicia Mollick, you name them. They all disappointed me in different ways. So it's great to see Ash Barty come along and 
I guess, redeem yeah. uh, what had otherwise been a dirty term in, in the sporting uh, vernacular of Australians. To say women's tennis was actually when you were kind of clutching for a punchline at a dinner party <laughs> and you didn't know what to say. You'd just go, women's tennis, and everyone would just laugh knowingly and <laughs> nod at each other. I want to pitch to you on this podcast that we actually rename her in light of her power and prowess across the court. Her shot selection is artistic, so I want to call her Bash Artie. Bash Artie. Because I think that sums up the hybrid that we're dealing with here, <laughs> the likes of which we have never seen before. Oh, well said, Gattis. Bash Artie. Hash, hash the Bash. I like it. Well, let's get that rolling. What are your thoughts on our friend Bash? Well, she is, of course, now the first Australian since Ivan Gulagong, 1976, the fifth Australian to be crowned, world number one, after Gulagong Cawley, but also Pat Rafter, Hewitt and Johnny Newcomb are the other uh, Australians to have done so. And so, I mean, it's impressive. But, but of course, what's most impressive, Kat, is, is how quickly this rise has happened. We, we have ch- touched on this podcast, the fact that three years ago she was playing a different sport. Uh, I think it was curling in the Winter Olympics. I don't know. Um, but it was something other than tennis. But three years ago to not be in the sport and therefore come back in May 2016 with no ranking points, fully unranked, by the end of 2016, she was 272 in the world. And then in the space of one year, by December the next year, up like a chong-like rocket, she'd risen to number 17 in the year. Uh, another year on she was 15 in the year and in only six months she's jumped from the world number 15 spot to the world number one so I believe by the end of next year she's hoping to be the Queen of England which is uh, which is I think a realistic (laughs) aim but the other thing for me that has been of particular in this last week has been Sir Muzza the recently knighted Andy Murray who has returned to the court with a new hip He's had radical surgery in January of this year. He uh, retired. He said he, he can't do it. We, he talked about having two years of uh, immense pain and went under the knife in a last-ditch effort, and they put in a new hip uh, in some kind of RoboCop-like surgery. They've um, put in uh, the hip, I believe, of John Newcomb. When he was asleep one night, they went in, took it, put it put it in Murray. Apparently that works better than uh, his old one, which says something. And uh, the personality <laughs> transplant wasn't successful with Andy Murray, oh, so that's a bit disappointing. Shattered. But he has just won uh, Queens in the doubles, pairing with uh, Feliciana Lopez. He's back on the court and winning, playing phenomenal tennis. So now he's actually eyeing off a US Open berth in the singles. Uh, he won't be competing in the Wimbledon singles, but he's back. And for me, that's that's exceptionally exciting. He's, he's a great of the game, two-time Wimbledon champ. And uh, it's great to see him actually enjoying life. And I believe he was reported to have smiled during the week as well. And it actually fulfills a long-term ambition of his rather controlling mother, Judy Murray, uh, who can finally work him around court with only using a remote control. <laughs> uh, hence the robotics that he's, he's now got installed in his hip. His footwork has never been finer, my friend. <laughs> who needs a drone when you've got a Murray you can move around court? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But I, I have to say, I, I am not one of those admiring the comeback uh, quite as much right. as the British press has, for example. I think it's overrated. I think you've got to put comebacks in perspective. So I would like to propose to you there's probably three tiers of comebacks. The lowest tier, tier three, would have to be 
my particular cricket comeback to the Nunawading Cricket Club in 1999, uh, where you might recall because you were wicket keeping that I uh, pitched the first ball uh, as a beamer on the guy's head and he slapped me into the car park, thus threatening all of our Toyota Corollas lined up end to end. Not a good start to my comeback. So I'd put that in the lower tier. Right. And then tier one, I would have to put Tiger Woods and Jesus Christ uh, in no particular order. <laughs> Still yet to really get a read on their ranking. And Muzza is somewhere in between, but probably closer down the end of my failed cricket career. Well, uh, I just don't think it's that impressive. I mean... No. You didn't think it was impressive that he was able to win a tournament with a walking frame? I thought that was amazing. <laughs> well, It's not great for the grass of Wimbledon, to be fair. Uh, he's just shredded the back half of the court. Okay, at the risk of naming a very deep-cut Australian reference... Please, if you're an international listener, if you're one of the two, just tune out for the next two minutes. But once bitten, twice shy, twice bitten, three times shy, I don't care. Johnny Farnham springs to mind. How many times are you going to announce your retirement and clutch at the heartstrings of the general public? Muzza, I thought you were dead in January. I thought it was terminal. And then you come back as a robot? I mean, I've seen it in the Terminator films. This does not end well. At some point, you will kill a linesman and there'll be blood on our collective hands. And I just can't live with that. Is there scope for Johnny Fino to join him on the men's doubles farewell tour, arena tour, where they take on another musician and tennis player in uh, mixed talent doubles? <laughs> And if that was the case, think carefully, who would they take on? I always thought John Farnham was Andre Agassi. So maybe we could have <laughs> Agassi as one of the other tennis players. I don't know who Agassi would play with. What, what's a kind of fitting musician to go with an Andre? Maybe Peter Andre. Uh, does that work? <laughs> that absolutely works. Given his popularity in the UK, I can. Or, he's or, that, that is already selling out arenas. <laughs> Andre the Giants versus the <laughs> cheating, lying scumbags who owe me money for the previous farewell tour. Sorry. So, so, so Murray and Farnham versus Andre Agassi, Peter Andre and Andre the Giant. Amazing matchup. I want them to wheel out a stuffed Andre the Giant. God rest your soul, Andre. As a physical ornament of the game like at the royal melbourne show the winner takes home a giant stuffed andre that would please any of their respective partners i love the idea that um hunters have kind of a moose head mounted on their wall and <laughs> and tennis fans will get to have a giant stuffed andre the giant in their living room it sounds tasteless but put an apple in his mouth and i think even you would come round to the idea I was a bit, uh, I don't know if you'd heard Catters, but Murray in pursuit of more tennis is wanting to play mixed doubles as well as just men's doubles and has been trying to recruit players to play with him. And the scuttlebutt is that he approached, his first approach was to Ash Barty asking to play with her in Wimbledon. And amazingly, she knocked him back. She declined the offer. So we could have seen Barty and, and uh, you know, Murray or... Who, who now looks like Krang for mine uh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's just just the, the tennis brain inside some other body. 
Listeners, feel free to Google Crane um, <laughs> if you didn't grow up with Bebop and Rocksteady. I thought we started with some 90s reference. It's only fair that we wind the clock back and sneak in a couple of 80s references. Keep working our way back. The issue with Barty was that uh, Murray obviously played with Feliciano Lopez last week at Queens. Mm. He's playing with another partner, I believe, he at is. Eastbourne this week. Correct. So, and then another another player again at Wimbledon. So three changes in three weeks. <sighs> You can hardly blame Barty for questioning a guy who's, you know, swinging this much with his partners. He's not really going to put a ring on it, is he? <laughs> so I say, you go, sister, go, girlfriend, look for something long-lasting and kick him to the curb. But seriously, the inside word is that the announcement at the end of this week will be that Venus Williams will partner with Andy Murray. Venus Williams. That's the word I'm getting from inside his camp. I've managed to intercept some of the transmission coming from his hip. Uh, It was beaming somewhere over Greenland and it was saying Murray's are from Mars and women are from Venus. Uh, Again, I don't want to go back to my traumatic high school memories, but... That girl in the corner obviously didn't talk to me, obviously put out a restraining order against me. So I just lowered my standards. And that's what Muzz doing. He knows he can't get the best Williams. So let's get the more, I don't know, artistic Williams. Let's get the intellectual Williams. Exactly. Yeah. And actually Kat has just heard that Venus this week has has changed tact, realising that tennis may not be her best bet moving forward. So, of course, as the the less skilled tennis sister currently is doing what Venus should do, and that's she's starting a clothing line. And as a professional tennis player, the obvious clothing line you would start up is for female golfers. Uh, so that's been announced. <laughs> is, is that real? This week. Is that yes. for real? So Elevin clothing line. Well, whatever distracts from her current tennis form and gives her some sense of finally getting attention and love from her parents works for me because it must be an icy dinner table when they come together and her parents are are like, right, your portions are based on the trophies you bring to the table. (laughs) Maybe that's why she is the thinner one is just based on the portions she's dished at the table. That's true. And that's very Dickensian. That's very, very in line with Wimbledon. Please, sir. (laughs) You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. Killed violation. Verbal abuse. It's not touching the line. I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. Of course, we love to follow the action on court, but there's also always a heck of a lot happening off the court in a lead-up to Wimbledon Catters. Who has been fighting? What have been the, the soap operas that have been happening behind closed doors that, are, that we need to bring people's attention to? Well, there's been a disappointingly high level of harmony off the uh, court recently, so I don't have a lot to report there. But when that happens, you need to look no further than one St. Nicholas Curios to bring home the proverbial bacon. Uh, And we've seen him at Queen's recently, and he did not disappoint. Uh, I believe you've actually maybe got the quotes from his on-court session there. I do. It it sounded a little bit like this, Catters. Bro, are you taking the effing piss, mate? The ball was this far out. No joke. What are you doing? It's so far long, bro. Bro, it's taking the piss. I refuse to play. So he actually became a lot more Greek uh, in that match, which was just 
I mean, it shows that the pain he was in. That, that, yeah. <laughs> I was picking up hints of South African there, but uh, yes. yeah, he has a much more textured past <laughs> than we uh, have been led to believe. Yeah, there was some uh, Eastern European. I believe there was a hint of Asian and, uh, <laughs> yes, Indian as well. That just shows the, the golem-like experience he was having on court. He then went on to say, it couldn't have been further out. What are you doing? Was that not out, the second serve? It's a joke, man. It's a serious joke. Like your hat looks ridiculous also. It's not even sunny. <laughs> it's a brilliant moment. Finishing that rant, he knew that he wasn't going to win it. So why why not just like suddenly point to the attire of the umpire and criticize his fashion choice? Just utterly brilliant. Absolutely. He just fell apart. There was two moments where uh, a serve came through, was called out, and he was receiving and just went, no, nah, it was in, and just walked to his chair. <laughs> Just overrode the umpire. So he's talking to himself. He's going off tap. And we're talking at five all in the third set. He's doing this. And at one point he says to himself, as he's berating himself, he's so lazy. Do something. So lazy you are. You were playing FIFA until 3 a.m. What do you expect? I think I actually sent you a clip during the week where there's there's two other things that kind of went unnoticed in all of this first of all that at the change events he ended up watching the match that was taking place on the court next to him (laughs) so he turned his back to his own court and just started watching that match like he preferred that the other thing that happened that wasn't as widely seen because it wasn't picked up by the cameras but someone in the crowd recorded that after he shook the umpire's hand he flung his racket I'm not kidding you, yes. 40 meters yes. out of the stand. And it kind of hit the merchandising building on the side, nearly hitting someone. I mean, well, it was failing to connect with tennis balls late in that match. So hitting a person <laughs> probably would have been a step up for him. You and I have different takes on this, Catters. I've had it up to here with Nick Curios. For me, at 25, there's surely a point in which it's time to roll. It's time to actually do the job that you're actually paid multi million dollars to do. It's one thing to not be enjoying your job, but not everyone loves all their job. But seriously, Nick, at 25, it's time to to start showing some improvement. And for me, he's the Benjamin Button of tennis maturity. He's just getting worse. <laughs> it's so true. Like seriously, in another two years, he'll be throwing his food at opposition players. I mean, it's it's crazy. For me, <laughs> you're due. You're due, Nick. He is regressing. However, I, on the other hand, am loving every minute of it. (laughs) I want fireworks. I mean, Nick Kyrgios will not be remembered for backhands, forehands. I want to remember him for his on-court blow-ups, which will go down in history. You imagine the statue will put out the front of Rod Laver Arena. Literally, we will dress him as a terrorist and have just bombs going off around him just to kind of embody what his career was. He's a tennis terrorist. <laughs> He's finding new ways to explode the sport. And I think he, the human highlight reel is exactly what the kids need. This is the problem. He, I mean, we're worried about kids playing FIFA instead of watching tennis. We need to worry about our own players playing FIFA <laughs> instead of watching tennis. <laughs> Do you want to live in a world where the top 20 is dominated by Milos Ryaniches or Rhini or whatever the plural of that is? I don't. Seriously, I've had Wheat Bix with nothing on top that have had been more flavoursome 
than Rayanich. Oh, wow, you've got a little guard protector on your shoulder that looks like a half a wetsuit. Yeah, you're really edgy. Go back to Canada. Get married to Eugenie Bouchard and do not procreate because those kids are not going to be able to swing a racket even if you put them in the Nick Boletari School of Improvement or whatever the flip that thing in my... that concentration camp in Miami is called. I'll give you the racket and we'll no, see, how many no. times, see how many times you can return yourself also. Okay, you're, you're a professional tennis player. I'm not. Okay. 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 Roger Federer. Year after year, Grand Slam after Grand Slam. I mean, you make it look so easy and obviously mm. it isn't. How do, how do you keep doing it? Yeah, look, uh, there's no secret behind it, you know. I mean, definitely a very talented player. <laughs> In the lead up to Wimbledon, Cutters, we need this segment, the fed up, the poo down, to, uh, to look at who are the up-and-comers, who are following in the footsteps of the eight-time Wimbledon winner, Roger Federer. And who are those who are following in the footsteps of Mark Philippoussis, the one-time runner-up of Wimbledon, Mark the Pooh Philippoussis. Catters, who's your fed up? Who is your poo down? Lightning, my fed up is none other than a man of the same age as one Roger Federer, Feliciano Lopez, who shocked the tennis world last week by pulling off one of the most incredible tournaments in modern tennis history, to be honest. He was teetering over 100 in the world. I think he was having to qualify for events. 113 in the world. And in fact, for this tournament, was a wild card entry. There you go. And he was chosen as Andy Murray's doubles partner. So he played the singles and ended up winning both. Phenomenal. As a 37-year-old, still, might I add, a beautiful man. A beautiful specimen of a 37-year-old. An utter pimp. It's a privilege to watch that sort of eye candy rocking around the court. (laughs) He must be modeling in his spare time. So think of the schedule on this guy at the moment. The burden on this guy's shoulders. Incredible. It was an incredible story. For Andy Murray was the main story. And to see him trumped by Feliciana Lopez was incredible. He... As you said, Kat has won both the singles and the doubles, but let me give you the details of that. So on the Saturday, second last day, because of rain delays, he had to play three matches back to back to back. He had to play his doubles quarterfinal. He then got a shower in at a six-minute break. He then had to return to the court for his the semifinal of his singles match. Wasn't even able to leave the court. Andy Murray jumped the fence, get on court with him, and they together played their double semi-final, which they won. All of those games went to the maximum amount of sets and then returned the next day for the finals of both the singles and the doubles, both of which he won. So he was on court for the last five matches on that centre court and was on court eight of the last 24 hours. Unbelievable. And got through with two wins. It was an amazing story. So he's, he's also my fed up in terms of uh, looks because it's good to see a bit of eye candy on the court, but also hard to evaluate because it was in front of the backdrop of a sea of British people. And that's <laughs> always a stark contrast. <laughs> Perspective is necessary. The fact that he, uh, at the change of ends, had a hot tub to sit in uh, topless, for me, also added to the appeal 
and the fact that they also had bikini-clad waitresses on skates swanning him <laughs> with large palm fronds, for me, also added to the sense of, of the beautifulness of the man. But it might have just been me. No, I mean, I think people can say that that could be erring on the side of chauvinism, but for me, it's <laughs> theatre. And I like nothing more than uh, a beautiful Spanish stallion arising from the hot tub. My poo down lightning is one that I take no great pleasure in bringing to you, and that is Alexander Zverev. No. Sasha Zverev, as he's known to his friends. Yes, it's a sad moment uh, again to name Zverev. I think I've mentioned him once or twice or all five times. All five? Prior yeah, he's to got this. the clean sweep the now. Okay, so yeah. We might have to rename the segment. Yeah, you're on notice, Sasha. Maybe Zverev is the German word for poo. I don't know, but I'm going to have to do my Google Translate because he has well and truly pooed his own pants. You know, when you are in a form slump, I've always said there's no greater opportunity to rebound than a home tournament. Unfortunately, the same can't be said for Zverev, who returned back to Germany only to get bundled out of the Stuttgart Open in the first round by his fellow countryman and Lenny Kravitz lookalike Dustin Brown and then got bounced from Haller uh, by another player, oh, David Goffin, who whilst has an impressive name, has a less than impressive game. Yes. The final thing as well, Sasha, you also need to think about the optics. What is What is a good look when you're struggling? And a good look is not to post on Instagram a POV account of you getting a rub down on your high inner thigh it's not what i want to see buddy if i wanted to see brat first i'd take a flight down to berlin <laughs> how about you lightning for me my fed up is a young canadian tennis player it's felix auger aliasim who's currently ranked 21 in the world and many the Djokovic's, nadal's federer's are really talking this bloke up they reckon and many are tipping him to be top 10 by year's end. So in the recent Queen's tournament, the, the traditional lead-up to Wimbledon, he knocked off Dimitrov, he knocked off Tsitsipas, he knocked off Curios, and then he became some collateral in Feliciano Lopez's killing spree, but not before he'd just continued to impress people. So bearing the nickname King Felix. Thank goodness, because I can't remember that full name. Exactly. Or Je Aliasim, which is also his magician name, I believe, which is impressive. So... Uh, he's also a, a conjurer in his spare time who attempts to escape from multiple breaks of serve down. So, uh, incredible name, really. Osher Ali Asim. He's got some tricks to his bow. He also pulls rabbits out of his hat, although uh, Curios later commented on his hat and therefore he got embarrassed and put it away. <laughs> He did show incredible poise against Kyrgios because Kyrgios underarm served him three times and yeah. he was utterly unfazed by it. So yeah. that is only the hallmark of a magician who's seen it all before and is like, mate, you're going to have to do better than that. I'm going to be soaring the chair umpire in half at the change of ends. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Wonder if he would have been able to put Kyrgios's two personalities back together. Oh. Uh, that would have been pretty impressive. <laughs> So there you go. That is my fed up. He's the youngest player in the top 25 since one Leton Hewitt. So pretty amazing. Although what is pretty incredible about this guy is 
He's 21 in the world, tipped to be a top 10 by year's end, but has not yet won a Grand Slam match, which is pretty incredible how that's managed to be. So he's won Hong Kong 1, 2 and 3. So he's certainly been able to accrue a few uh, ranking points, but look out for him. It's also incredible to think that he has not won a Grand Slam singles match before and he's seeded 19 yes at the world's most prestigious tournament yes. it's unbelievable it's unbelievable we haven't seen this sort of performance since uh, david copperfield won on kuyong uh <laughs> in in the mixed doubles with claudia shiver back in uh, 1987 <laughs> german tennis has never been the same since cat is my poo down is uh dennis shapovalov or Shapovalov, depending on how you want to roll. He uh, There is no good way of saying that last name, <laughs> Lightning. I'm sorry. It's not, it's just not a, it's not, it's not a very becoming surname, is it's it? It's not a becoming surname and he's not a becoming player. He was tipped to become one of the uh, emerging stars of the game, was 20 in the world. In fact, he was the youngest to crack the top 30 since 2005. So currently I think he's about 27 in the world, but his current record is two wins, 10 losses this year. So for me, as someone who is just has so much potential, has a disastrous last name, which sounds like someone who's dyslexic trying to say Pavlov's dog, Shapovalov <laughs> is just not delivering. In fact, he's Shapovaloving all over the court, unfortunately, this time. So... In fact, looking at his Google images, he actually does look a lot like one of Pavlov's dogs. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the little locks that kind of... He looks a bit like a Labrador. He's got the long long blondes hanging out the back of his cap. It's such a bad move to fall down that path of rapping on court, which I know he did <laughs> a couple of times. I've never been a fan of it. Oh, YouTube footage worth watching. I don't think he's won a match since Catters. The good news is that he's been uh, invited to enter a tournament with the Wu-Tan Clan in the Lower East Side of LA next summer. The bad news is that that's a gun battle tournament and has nothing to do with tennis. So... <laughs> Good luck, Dennis. We hardly knew you. <laughs> oh, so Dennis Shapovalov, he uh, yeah gets a good Scrabble score, but he uh, does nothing for me on the tennis stakes. So he is my poo down. Catters, it's time to lay ourselves bare. We are on the dawn of another Wimbledon, so we're going to lay out our predictions. And we can check back in, as we will, with our mid-Wimbledon episode in only a week's time. And again at the end, but before we get there, it's time to look into our crystal balls and, and to predict who we think are going to take out the tournament. Catters, who for you will be crowned Queen and King of Wimbledon this year? Well, Lightning, I'm going to go for the men's side. I'm going to go for one Roger Federer mm. to win his ninth Wimbledon title. I guess this is mainly a knee-jerk reaction to the fact that we both completely dropped the ball on Rafa at the French. And I just can't bet against a guy who has this sort of form coming in. He's just won at Haller, his 10th title there. He looks good. He's in good shape. It's funny, you know, he's just kind of flown under the radar. Obviously, the French was never going to be a tournament that he was going to win. He's been priming himself for grass, like the podcast itself, I think you could safely say. So I'm excited about his chances there, and I think he'll be he'll do really well. On the women's side, I'm going for Serena Williams, and that wow. is 
unexpected uh, because I really got a good vibe from Venus this week when she released that new golf brand. I just felt, yeah, <laughs> this this is a woman who has her mind on the job. But instead, I'm going to go for Serena. She's very, very good on grass. So I think she's going to be very, very hard to beat. Bold predictions, Catters. I would not have expected uh, Serena and Roger to be favourites. Both of us had those two on the canvas at the start of the year, and now they're the top dogs for you at the, the start. Well, of the they are the two, arguably the two greatest players of all time, so maybe it's not that controversial. Yeah, bold, to, uh, very bold cutters. Nothing nothing like taking a risk with your predictions. For me, it's uh, I, I, it's hard to go past Lopez. He just looks undefe- undefeatable, that bloke. So whatever he's drinking, whatever he's eating, whoever he's in the hot tub with, I, I think he's got this one in the bag. Uh, it, it just, no, I don't think he will win. And uh, I would love, my heartstrings say Lopez because he's hot. The heartstrings say Fed because he's amazing. With Lopez, I would say his best chance is that we suffer massive rain delays for the first eight days of the Open. And then he's forced to just play all seven matches back to back, literally without stopping, under lights, roof on, fire up the hot tub, no sitting down, just... And at the end, we just lower him six feet under, just bury the man because he will not be able to move for the remainder of his life. But what a way to go out. Beyond Lopez, though, I want Fed. I want him to to get some distance on Nadal. I want him to establish himself as the greatest of all time. I uh, I want Barty. They're, they're where the heartstrings pull. Here's an interesting stat, Cutter. Since 2003, on the men's side... Only four players have won this tournament. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer and Murray since 2003. So for the last 16 wow. years. So for this to not be Federer or Djokovic would be tipping against uh, against history. So Nadal's on a 12th match winning streak. Joker's the defending title holder. Fed just won Hull, as you said. And, and Murray is competing in the wheelchair category. So I, I don't think it's going to slip outside one of those four for this year. I think it... Actually, I'm going to go point a difference to you. I think Djokovic, who has not played a game since the French Open, he's uh, trying to rack up some frequent fly points rather than ranking points, has been on his fourth holiday for the year. Uh, it's a brilliant strategy. He's unbelievable. <laughs> he's never around. He's just... It's incredible that a guy this disinterested in tennis can be this successful at the sport. He is literally rocking up only when he has to and winning it. So when he clicks into victory mode, he's quite unbeatable. So uh, whether he can do it again, we'll see. I'm going to tip him, Cutter, so he's going to be my male pick. On the women's side, geez, I'd love it to be Barty. I'm not sure she'll deal with the pressure of being number one and, uh, you know, current French Open champion. I, to be honest, I wonder whether that allows Osaka to actually sneak through with a little bit less uh, light on her. So I'm going to say Osaka. And look, let's throw out a Smokey. I don't know if you've got a Smokey, Catters. I'm going to go Andreescu. I, I reckon the women's side is so open. And we forget that, that um, Barty's come from the clouds. I wonder whether for this tournament someone else could. So that's my Smokey. Do you have a Smokey, Catters? Yeah, my Smokey on the women's would be Patrick Vidova. I know she's coming Mm. back from an injury, not related to the stabbing injury uh, that she suffered, but I think she still looks very, very good. And I Mm. think on grass, she's very well suited. So that would be my pick. Yeah, it's and it's always good on grass to have a smoky. So 
that's um good to do if if you leave the podcast with one thought today <laughs> this podcast was sponsored by marijuana <laughs> so there you go that is our pre-wimbledon edition they are just about to release the drawer we will check in halfway through the tournament to give you a word on the matches as it's happening on the behind the scenes. We will be on the pulse of Instagram accounts. We will have our reporters in the field checking in to bring you all the things you need to know about the People's Tournament, about Wimbledon 2019. But in the meantime, jump on Instagram, jump on Facebook, give us a review on iTunes if you can, pass along the word that is the backhanders, and we look forward to Wimbledon 2019. And just remember to be quiet, please.